Welcome to our One Question for God series. We all have questions for God, from the atheist who doesn't even think God exists, right through to the mature Christian who's been walking with God for decades. That's why every year we survey our family and friends, our neighborhood and networks, to find and respond to the four most popular, most relevant questions our community has for God. We don't claim to have all the answers, but we do claim that the most satisfying answers to life's biggest questions are found in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy this answer in our One Question for God series. Hi Church, I'm Adelaide and today's Bible reading comes from Psalm 22 verses 1 to 8. So please read with me. For the director of music, to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Where are you, God? I can't find you. Well, it's an absolute cracker of a question. I would like to just affirm you, if you've ever asked this question, that this is something every human has or will ask at some point in their life. Where are you, God? I can't find you. God feeling hidden is a universal feeling, and you should not feel wrong or out of sorts because you're asking that question. I actually want to affirm you and say it is, is fantastic that you are asking that question. It's a consistent human experience to seek after God and, and try and long after Him and find out where He might be in your life. Where are you, God? I can't find you. Recently, once the coronavirus pandemic started, the Google searches for the word prayer astronomically increased. And that's unsurprising to me because when we come into moments of trial or difficulty, it makes sense that we would seek someone outside of ourselves to provide answers or to provide help. A recent study showed that one in four, get this, one in four people in the UK have attended some sort of religious service online since the pandemic began. We crave the presence of a higher being to create meaning in the midst of the mess. It makes sense to ask, where are you, God? There's so many different situations that you might have been in. I think of the father diagnosed with significant cancer, with two kids who are only in their young years. And he's just crying out, God, where are you right now? I think of the person stuck in lockdown experiencing some significant loneliness, being like there's no one around, no one with them, and wondering, how could God do this to me? I think of my own experience as a teenager having a disabled sister, and looking at her in her brokenness and thinking, God, where are you right now? Suffering and trial often bring out in us these deep and hard questions, and I think that's right. But at the same time, in the normality of life, 
we often find ourselves asking these questions too. As a youth pastor, I got to walk with a teenage boy for a while, for a couple of years in fact, who was coming every Friday and along to youth group because he was seeking after God. And by the end of my time there, I saw him come to a place where he could understand intellectually that God was a being who might exist, but just couldn't take that extra step to put his belief in him. He was seeking, he was crying out. I think of the university students that I've spoken with who have stepped into this space of ideas and are thinking through all of the various evidence that's out there, philosophy, science, history, for the existence of God, and just wanting to know more. It's, it's a natural human experience to cry out and to seek God. And so I want to say, whatever your experience of seeking after God is, don't stop. Don't stop seeking. We might feel like sometimes he's not there. We might feel like he doesn't turn up in our difficulty and our suffering. But I want to argue that often it's through our hardship and difficulty that he turns up. And in fact, God is often there with us in the midst of our darkest moments. It's often the, God, the presence of God that we want that we don't receive. But it's not the presence of God that we need. And so I've just got two points and four challenges. Wow, four, cha- four challenges. I got two points and four challenges. My first point is this. An elusive God doesn't mean a non-existent God. An elusive God doesn't mean a non-existent God. Just because he doesn't show himself on our terms and turn up in the way that we would like him to turn up, that does not mean that God is not there. An elusive God does not mean a non-existent God. What if I told you that God has revealed himself and is revealing himself throughout all of the universe? In every facet of life, all we need to do is open our eyes to see it. There's literally a universe of evidence available to us. And I don't have time to go through absolutely everything. I feel like we could spend years going through the various points for the the reality of God. So I'm just going to whet your appetite and hope that you'll stick around for future weeks as we answer more questions about God. But I've got four markers of the evidence of the existence of God, even though he feels hidden. The first marker is science. The, The common rhetoric that you hear is that science has disproved the existence of God. Or that there's no coherent way that you can believe in a God that's outside of the universe and believe in the truths that are demonstrated through the scientific method. And I want to just say that's absolutely false. Completely and utterly false. Perhaps you've heard that evolutionary theory has completely put to death the Christian worldview. Again, a complete misnomer. Actually, a plausible and compelling worldview is one that makes sense of the scientific world along with the spiritual world. The two should not conflict. Both are speaking about truth, and they come together beautifully. The outrageous probabilities for the conditions of life to exist are often pointed to as a marker of the existence of God. And and rightly so, people say that the intelligent design theory is not enough to prove the existence of God. But it is something that cries out to us the beauty of a God who would make life in the way that he has. The famous atheist Richard Dawkins has gone on record saying, it certainly seems like the the creation has the appearance of a designer. Science has done the opposite of what is popularly believed. It's revived the God hypothesis in recent years. The common cosmological argument that the universe came from nothing at a finite point in history requires an explanation from where did it start 
And that's the point at which God enters the conversation. If you're sitting here thinking, I could never believe in God because my science keeps me, I want to argue and push you to think more deeply. The two come together beautifully, and they ought to come together beautifully to declare the existence of God. The second marker is in philosophy and academia in generally. The common thought is that belief in God demands that we check our brains at the door when we walk into the church, learn some things, and then walk back out and pick our brains on the way out. Absolutely wrong. Nietzsche, 134 years ago, a famous philosopher proclaimed, God is dead. And he was referring to the fact that at his time, almost every philosopher in secular universities was a naturalist, believing that only the material world existed. There was no God. He thought he could finally proclaim, God has finally been removed for the myth that he is. But look at history today. Look at the philosophical landscape today. And you've got a famous atheist philosopher named Quinton Smith rebuking his other fellow atheist philosophers in 2001 because they've given so much ground to the theistic philosophy. There's been so much of a, a movement since the 1960s from Christian philosophers developing rigorous and articulate arguments for the reality and the existence of God. Again, I wish we had 100 talks to go through them in detail, but it's, it's not far-fetched that God exists. Now, there's evidence for him despite the fact that he feels distance at times. The third marker, history. The historical person of Jesus unquestionably lived. I love this. The historian John Dixon said, if someone can prove to me a single ancient history or classics professor who does not believe that Jesus lived, I will eat a page of my Bible. And I kind of wish that that had happened because I think it'd be a very funny video to watch. But the fact that it didn't happen is just a statement that is a common falsity that's paraded around in our culture that Jesus never existed. The Bible was just made up by a bunch of guys. No, even secular history proclaims the reality of Jesus' life. For many centuries, we've had this movement of biblical scholars trying to dissect the four main biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they've tried to remove and create distance from the people who actually saw Jesus. But in recent years, those theories have been less and less persuasive, and it's been more and more clear to us that those who wrote about Jesus actually witnessed Jesus. And the most persuasive part about that is almost every single one of them gave their life for their belief in him without recanting what they believed. To think that someone would go to the end of their life because they saw a man rise from the dead, that's a persuasive rock in my shoe that I can't help but allow to sit with me as I think about the reality of God. And the fourth marker is the fact that God is still on the move all over the world. It could be easy to sit here in comfortable Australia and look at the churches that are closing and the number of Christians that seem to be declining without opening our eyes to the fact that there are 2.5 billion of Christians in the world and that is only increasing faster than the population. Africa, China, Iran, all of the Middle East, people are turning to Jesus in all sorts of ways through the university ministries globally where people are coming to grips with the articulate evidences for God but also as people are sleeping as God reveals to them visions of Jesus, people who would die if they were to turn from Islam to Christianity. God is on the move in varied and manifold ways. So perhaps as we consider the hiddenness of God, how far away he might be, how he isn't turning up in our situation, perhaps it's because we aren't looking at the broad landscape of evidence that is available to us. 
Here, I've got two challenges for you. Now, don't be afraid. I'm not, I'm not attacking you. I just want to give you something to think about. Challenge one. If God is truly God, maybe he doesn't have to show himself to us on our terms in the way that we'd like him to. If God is truly God, maybe he doesn't have to show himself to us on our terms in the way that we would like him to. In fact, I would not want to follow a God like that. If God kind of just stepped into the world at my beck and call and revealed himself to me whenever I needed him like a genie in the bottle, that's not a God that I want to follow. That's a vending machine that I put my money in when I need something. No, the God who I want to follow is the one who has a godness about him. The one who is the infinite one. The one who stands beside his creation, holding it together. The one who actually doesn't come when I call him, but I come when he calls me. Maybe that's an approach that we have imbibed that we shouldn't have. That God is coming to us whenever we need him, and when he doesn't, he therefore must not exist. Well, that's a complete misunderstanding of the very definition of God, a being that is bigger, stronger, and more powerful than us. Challenge two, could it be that despite our expectations of how good should reveal himself, he actually has and he is revealing himself? I mean, we've already covered very quickly the plausibility of God, that in the various fields that seem to you know, cry out that God is dead, they are actually fields that he is very much alive. There is certainly a lot of evidence that could persuade us to an intellectual and a cognitive ability that Jesus is real or that God is a being that might exist. But perhaps he's revealing himself in a way that is far more personal, in a way that is far more persuasive, and in a way that might have far more meaning to your life than simply a belief in a creator, but actually a belief in a father. And so that, that takes me to my second point. The first one was that an elusive God doesn't mean a non-existent God. But the second point is that you will find God in the person of Jesus. I, I think I can say that with absolute certainty. You will find God in the person of Jesus. The Bible's clear testimony is that God is not sitting on a cloud in heaven, distantly calling and commanding us to come and find a way to meet him to find a way to unpack the evidence for his existence, and once we do that, work out what it means to worship him from afar. No, it's quite the opposite. The, the Bible's testimony is that God himself, despite the fact that there is an enormous distance between us, largely on our part, may I say, he actually reaches down into this world so that that distance might be closed. He's the one who actually makes himself known to us. He doesn't call us to come and find him so much as that he comes and finds us. The Bible's God is a God of monumental, supernatural, outrageous love who reaches into this world, not from a distance, but closely and intimately. Get this, in John chapter 1, there is this beautiful picture of the person of Jesus. He's not just a man, he is God himself. He's referred to as the Word, and it says the Word became flesh. Now, as you try to grapple with the fact, is God available to me? Is he, is he real? Does he exist? Just grapple with the outrageousness of this statement, that the creator became one of the created ones. That the infinite one holding all things together, if he is God himself, 
actually stepped into the very world that he is holding together. He took on humanhood. He entered into the world. And the first public message that he preaches, the kingdom of God is near. Not far away, not distant for those who are willing to make the the big journey to go and find him. The kingdom of God is near. If you want to find God, you can. He's here. He has revealed himself. He is present in this world, and he's present in the world as the person of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said about himself. He said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not that I'm a good teacher who's going to point you to the way. Not that I have some true things to say about God. But that if you come to me, you come to God himself. He says, no one can come to the Father, God himself, except through me. So as you sit in the midst of your suffering and your pain, or as you go on a journey of seeking after God, don't ignore the plethora of evidence, the framework of belief that you might form as you think seriously and intellectually. But please do not ignore the fact that God has conclusively and deeply revealed himself in the person of Jesus. Where are you, God? I can't find you. Let me tell you, you can find him. His name is Jesus. But he goes a little step further. The psalm that we had read out earlier, Psalm 22. It's a prayer that God's people put together so that we can express our faithfulness to God. And it's a really telling prayer, and it makes sense of why sometimes we feel like God is not far and not close to us, because we are called to pray, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish? God actually gives us that prayer to pray because sometimes he doesn't feel close. But better than that, when Jesus stepped into this world, as Jesus walked a path to the cross where he would be killed and crucified, he didn't just point us to this prayer so that we might, you know, together be distant from God. No, he took up this prayer upon his own lips. While Jesus was dying on the cross, the center of Christianity, He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is the most beautiful irony in all of history that the one who was closest to God experienced the most distance from God. So that you and I, as we feel and experience the distance of God, might actually be brought near. On the cross, Jesus experienced tremendous physical suffering. You can imagine having your hands and feet nailed to a cross. The fact that you don't actually die from your wounds, you die from asphyxiation as you try to hold yourself up on a nail, it would be excruciating. But that that pain must have paled to the spiritual pain of the Son of God experiencing distance from his Father, the good presence of his Father. And as we look at that, that's a wonderful thing to think about. Wow, think about the infinite God and what he went through. But it's a message and a truth for you that if you truly want to seek after God, Not only can you find him in Jesus, but when you do find Jesus, Jesus will pull you near to God. He will remove every barrier between you and God. And he will show you the intimate and loving relationship that you could have with God. There's nothing better than that. So I've got a couple more challenges for you. Challenge three. What if God doesn't exist to fit into the empty space of your life but you exist for him. 
What if the whole way that we go about seeking after God is topsy-turvy, that we are seeking to grab hold of him and fit him into a part of our life, fill a compartment with him perhaps? Or as we go through a difficult time in life, we call out to him and demand that he come and fix part of the problem and show himself to be real. But what if he's sitting there calling and beckoning us to come and be a part of his life? Our approach to God shouldn't be like an umbrella in the closet that you pull out whenever it's raining. It shouldn't be like a walking frame that exists for those who need help walking. It shouldn't be like guacamole that you add as an extra onto your burrito if you're into that. No, he is the infinite God who made you for himself and offers you the perfect way in Jesus to come and to know him. So what would it look like for you to shape your seeking after God differently? Not that he would fill a space in you, but that you would come and see that you were made for him. Challenge number four. This is a good one. What do you actually want from God when you find him? What do you want from him? I mean, so many of us cry out, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? But have you ever gone the next step and thought, well, if he does turn up, what do I want? Do I just want him to come, mend the broken pieces and leap? Do I want him to stay and continue to be a power whenever I need him to? Do I want him to be kind of like a roommate who is in the same space as me, but I can get away from him whenever I need him to be distant, or you know, I can go and knock on his door whenever I want him? What do you actually want from God? But I can tell you what God wants from you. God doesn't just want to be a temporary presence in your life when you need him. He wants to be your father. He wants you to be his daughter or his son. He wants to draw you into an intimate and beautiful relationship. And he does it through Jesus. I think often we do want a vending machine. Often we do cry out and throw accusations at God that he's not present in our lives. But what we're actually asking for is someone to come and fix the mess so that we can keep living independent of him. But God in his love wants so much more for you. He wants to be with you every single day, a presence in your loneliness, a power in your need, a father who cares for you. But here's where it gets a little tricky. Relationship with God requires restoration with God. There's so much of us that has built a life apart from him. And it sounds wonderful to have all those positives of, of a relationship with God, but you can't have a relationship that doesn't have any intimacy you can't have a relationship where it's one-sided, that we require things from him, but we give nothing back to him. And that's been the reality of our lives for so long. To find a relationship with God, we require restoration with God. And the way that we find that is through a word called repentance. Um, it's a very you know, odd word to say, but it really just simply means to see the sin, the difficulty, the pain, the brokenness, the hurt that we've caused God, all the stuff that is against who he is, we choose to put that aside and turn and live a whole new life, a life towards God, not a life away from God. And I think this might be why some of us have fallen short in our pursuit of God. We've seen the evidence. Perhaps we've even seen Jesus. Maybe we've read the Bible a few times. But it's that extra step of surrendering everything that we are it's a big call. And don't let me downplay it. It is a big call. But can I promise you that, that coming and giving of yourself in that way, you will find a life that is truly life. You will find a relationship with God 
that is more than you could have ever imagined, and it would be the best thing that you could ever do for yourself. So as I wrap up here, give me, let me give you some tips on, on what if you really do want to truly find God. Well, the first thing is to not be a Christopher Columbus, you know, getting in a, a ship and trying to explore the charted new world so that as you find it, you can colonize it for your own purposes. No, come to God as a child in need and give him everything that you are. Don't hold back as you pursue him. Seek after him wholeheartedly. And if you don't know where to start, here's where I think you should start. Tonight, before you go to bed, get on your knees and very simply ask the Lord Jesus Christ, would you reveal yourself to me? It might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but I promise you that if you ask, you will receive. If you knock, the door will be opened for you. Jesus promises to to come. Ravi Zacharias, a very famous apologist, said, God will reveal himself to genuine seekers. So don't get disheartened, don't get impatient Even some of Jesus' disciples who saw Jesus rise from the dead took time to come to a belief that he was truly there. Jesus once healed a blind man and actually took two steps. The first step, he healed him, and he saw just a blurry vision. It was only until the second step that he could see clearly. I think that's often the case for us, that when we come genuinely seeking after God, he will turn up, but sometimes it takes a few steps. And I just want to say that we would love to walk this journey with you. If you hit the connection card on your screen, we would love to pair you up with someone who would want to talk and answer your questions, to pray with you, to read the Bible with you. Um, This is a journey that can be done alone, but is far easier and far more enriching when you do it with someone who can help. And the last piece of advice I'd love to give you is that if you want to find the person of God, you find him in Jesus. So read the Gospels. Read the biographies that tell you all about this man, Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, any one of them will do. Just hit that connection card. We'd love to just send you a a gospel so that you can read and understand who Jesus is for yourself. Because even though God feels far at times, even when he doesn't turn up how we would like him to, he has conclusively, permanently, outrageously revealed himself to us in Jesus. And we can know him and he doesn't need to be far. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much that you are not a distant God who demands worship from afar, but you are a Father who beckons us in closely to love us intimately and to show us that you are with us all the time. Help those of us who are currently in a, a season of pain or suffering to come to you with open arms, not that you might take away and fix all the problems, but that you might show us what we truly need in you. And for those of us who are genuinely seeking Would you help us to see Jesus for who he truly is, to know him, to love him, and to come to a real relationship with you? God, thank you that you do open the door, that you do answer, and that you are able to be found. Amen. Thank you for listening to our One Question for God series. If this talk has inspired more questions or a desire to find out more about Jesus, we'd love to invite you to try Alpha Online. Alpha Online is a place where you can come and explore Christianity's answers to life's biggest questions with a group of open-minded explorers. You can come just as you are and you can join from the comfort of your own living room. There's always a course starting soon, so jump on our website to find details. Thanks for listening.